Hello and welcome to the Clubhouse, Golf Rocket's weekly look at the various different events around the world in golf. Today we hear the story of how TaylorMade signed John Rahm and discuss the return of both professional and amateur golf. Hi guys, this is Ben Wiesberger and welcome to the Golf Monthly Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Clubhouse. My name is Tom Clark and as ever I am joined by Elliot Heath. How are you doing Elliot? Hi Tom, good thanks. Good to hear you back on the podcast. It's been too long. Yeah, a, a few weeks off because you've been doing a sterling uh, job putting on some extended interviews uh, which I think have been really, really good. I had some great feedback I know. Uh, you enjoyed doing those interviews? Yeah, I spoke to Scott Gregory. I really enjoyed that one. Had some great feedback on that, and that's going to be in the magazine soon. Uh, Had the uh, bigger interview as well about greenkeeping. That was interesting. And then Sam Tremlett and Joel Tadman had some other ones. Uh, I thought our Patrick Harrington interview was great. And uh, McGinley last week as well, really good. So, yeah, I hope the listeners have been enjoying that. Yeah, and if you've missed any of them, of course, you can go back and listen to any of our older podcasts via uh, your usual podcast provider they'll all still be there so do check them out if you haven't listened to them so uh elliot are you missing playing golf or are you happy to have the rest <laughs> uh, yeah i'm missing golf a lot this is definitely the longest time i've gone without playing golf probably since i was about 10 years old and yeah. i'm 25 now so i think there'll yeah. be quite a lot of people in the same boat as you not quite sure uh, what to be doing with themselves. I'm sure there's lots of gardens are looking absolutely pristine and houses are completely dusted from top to bottom and lofts have been cleared out and we're really desperate to get going and get out there, aren't we? Yeah. I've got bad memories of golf, though, because I had the driver yips in my last game. So, Well, this could be the cure. This could have been the cure. Um, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm very worried how it's going to go on my next game. I'm probably going to need quite a few balls. <laughs> well, or... or or you'll just shoot the lights out of it. I was I I was about to play. I go away on the golf weekend when the the the, the lockdown kind of happened. Uh, I'm so I'm also desperate. Well, I'm just desperate to play any sport or watch any sport. To be honest with you, as I'm sure everyone else is there. People will know I play a lot of cricket as well. My cricket season's already been um, well. Half of it's already been cancelled, and the second half is looking, you know, uh, like it. It might happen, but only if we can work out how to um, play cricket and also socially isolate, which is going to be tricky, I think. So, But perhaps not as tricky for golf. And we have got some reasonably good news uh, for once. Um, people who are in the Republic of Ireland, and if you live within five kilometres of, of a golf course, you're going to be able to play golf from the 18th of May. That was announced at the end of last week. And also, we might even have some pro golf to watch as well, with a a charity skins match being arranged between Rory McIlroy, Dustin Johnson, Ricky Fowler and Matthew Wolfe. That's happening on Sunday, the 17th of May. So only a couple of weeks away and we actually might be able to watch a bit of golf, which I'll take. I'll take anything at the moment, to be honest with you. But actually watching those guys play golf could be really good, couldn't it? Yeah, so that's on the 17th of May the day before courses in Ireland reopen again. So that's going to be so much fun watching that for the Irish and yeah. hopefully for us in the UK as well. It could be a good celebration. And can you imagine the anticipation of playing golf after watching that live? Yeah, oh yeah, without doubt. I mean, I 
I can't. I want to go and play some crazy golf or something. <laughs> do anything. But, um, have you um you been playing in your garden at all? You got a net up or no, chipping net? Because mainly I've got a, a four year old who, if I try and play golf, I mean I'm quite bad on a golf course, aren't I? If I try and hit golf balls around my my reasonably small garden with a four year old running out running around, only one thing's going to happen. So um, yeah, probably best that I don't start hitting balls in my garden uh, for the safety of my neighbours. But uh, fingers crossed. Obviously, we we think that there may be further announcements this week as well, whether about relaxing of some of the lockdown rules and even perhaps maybe a real um, relaxing of of some of the uh, lockdown on golf as well. We've heard within the last week or so that the RNA have been speaking to the government about how golf will look, uh, what golf will look like at the, after the lockdown, um, with lots of different measures happening. So people seem to be getting prepared for this, don't they? Yeah, um, really positive news as well when the chairman of the UK Parliament's all-party group for golf said that uh, the game should open soon, or he said it can and should return soon. And he said he was really impressed with what he's heard from the industry, the RNA, one of those that have uh, been coming up with some some really sensible measures to play the game safely again. I mean, they're going to look exactly like what they were like just before the lockdown, aren't they? When, you know, yeah. you can't touch flags, you can't use rakes and bunkers. Um, tea times will be staggered a lot later. Bars will still be closed, which is a shame, but I think we'll take anything at the moment. Yeah, and so, so so I think the main headlines of what we we heard from the RNA were was a kind of as you've mentioned, you know, what's it going to look like? You can turn up in a car park. You probably won't be able to park right next to another car. You're going to have probably gaps in between the car park spaces. You will either have booked and paid for your tea time online, or you are likely to be able to use contactless payments in the pro shop. And I think pro shops will only be do, taking payments uh, for tea times and green fees. Um, you'll then play golf probably either on your own or in a two ball. We don't think any more than a two ball, do we? I'm not sure. I, I really don't know. All they've said is two metres. So, yeah. you know, can you keep two metres away from each other in a four ball, perhaps? Yeah, I think absolutely you can, can't you? Um it's it's tricky, isn't it? It's tricky to, to tricky to know exactly. But we, either way, golf's kind of made for that. Uh, and then things like ball washers and as as we said, the flags won't be taken out. Uh, the ball probably won't be allowed to go to the bottom of the cup. So either the cup yeah, that's a raised, very key bit of information there. Yeah, will be raised out the hole. So if you hit the cup, it means that it's hold, which I hadn't. You know, people, you're going to have people firing the ball at the hole, aren't you, on that? That could be quite interesting with some of the putts. Um, or it will only just drop a, a, couple, a, a centimetre or so below the, the line of the grass, the level of the grass, and that would, be, that would mean being hold as well. Um, also, anything within, was it six inches will be a gimme? Yeah, it was a putter grip. Putter grip, yeah. So, and of course, no shaking of hands. Uh, no uh, fist pumping, no high fives when you hole hole out from the fairway, and um, conversations <laughs> obviously two meters or, or more apart from each other. But you know, when you actually put that all together, it's not a big, not big changes, is it? Really? 
No, and in, interestingly, actually, the RNA, whilst they didn't encourage competitions, they certainly didn't say that they're banned as long as there's a sensible way of scoring them. So uh, I know a lot of clubs will be on sort of a, um electronic scoring system. I know there's one called Genius Golf that I think is making quite a big move during these times. And yeah, I think we could potentially play some competitions using that electronic scoring. I think that's it. That's it. There's got to be different ways. At the moment, everyone's used to having a scorecard and a pencil and uh, they're being told, obviously, don't check, don't swap scorecards or whatever. Um, you know, you just mark your own score. But there is going to be electronic ways of doing this and get sorting this out. You could very well upload your scores onto an app very easily. I think there's several options out there. So you could actually score for your partner, but you don't actually actually have to interact with them. You can upload your partner's score and your, and your own score um, and check it off. I think there's loads of different ways to do that. So um, it could even um, open the, people's eyes to some of the technological advances out there. Uh, I wonder if some of these things actually might be kept in place after the lockdown. So um, we'll have to wait and see. But we're just we're just desperate to go out and play a bit of golf and enjoy some fresh air, aren't we? Yeah. So what do you think, Tom? When when will courses reopen in the UK? Oh, if you have to predict. That's a loaded question, isn't it? Um, I I I feel that we're not far away. I don't think we'll be quite as early as as Ireland, but. Um, I, I hope really by the end of end of May, absolutely, that um, people will be able to play a round of golf in uh, the UK again. Um, I think a lot of people think that as well. And it's, it's because golf is a sport which can be played whilst social isolating. You don't have to make any physical contact with really anything that isn't yours. And you don't have to make any physical contact with any other, any other person. If you look at other sports... They have a lot more to overcome. Things like football, rugby, cricket as well. Um, you know, if you're sharing a one cricket ball around eleven players, I mean, it's very, very. How how do you work that out? Um, it's it's very tricky at the moment, and uh, I think that those sports are going to continue to not be able to be played for a little while longer. But let's get golf out there, and this is great opportunity for golf because of all those other sports, there's going to be a lot of sportsmen and women who are going to be looking for other ways of doing exercise and other sports that they can play. And a lot of them may suddenly find that golf is an option for them and um, is a great opportunity for these golf clubs, which have obviously been shut, to maybe get a bit of an influx of people and show show themselves off to a wider audience. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm sure a lot of people who have a set of clubs at the back of their garage under a few boxes or something might take them out and play their first round in a few years oh without doubt we're all going to turn into golfers if that's the only sport that we can play so uh, um, fingers crossed fingers crossed we'll get, a, get that going and uh, obviously it's not just recreational golf pro golf which we all like to watch on TV or, um, or on social media as well that you can, you can now watch it sounds like that's going to be opening soon but before we talk about that we're going to hear from TaylorMade's Vice President of Tour Operations Keith Sparbaro. He is someone with a lot of knowledge about the game. And we spoke to him recently, Neil Tappin, our digital editor, spoke to him about how they kind of like discovered John Rahm and found out that he was going to be the next big thing in the world of golf. So listen to the interview now. How's lockdown going? Yeah, it's, uh, it's 
like everyone else is going. It's not not great. We all want to work. We all want to get out and golf. We, uh, but it's obviously a necessary thing, and uh, there's more important things than golf right now. So we're all contributing to that, and hopefully we can get up and running again. Uh, the world can start moving again soon. So. How much contact have you had with your players? Yeah, a, a decent amount. They call a decent amount. I mean, we're all friends. At least the guys, you know, that I work closely with, we're all pretty good friends, so we're not really talking golf. But just like other friends, we talk about this and other things. And, yeah, so I've had decent amount of contact uh, with most of them, I would say. And... Keith, can you just explain for everyone listening to this, just talk us through what, what is your role at TaylorMade? Um, my title is Vice President of Tour Operations. So I've been at TaylorMade for 20 years, and I just kind of oversee everything to really do with the PGA Tour. So um, all the players with their fittings, uh, recruiting the players, and then also someone involved in their contracts along with uh, my boss and a few others. That's a, you know more of a uh, group decision but um, yeah so just everything involved with the PGA Tour have what three or four guys I work with that uh, you know and then that kind of oversees the rest of the world which brings us over to your region and uh, yeah I'll have my thoughts completely on the European Tour but I uh, I get updates and uh, help them make decisions but uh, most of my stuff Right. Okay. And and so I take it that means you're traveling pretty much all the time, I Keith. Well, when, when you're not in lockdown. Anyway. Yeah, I, I go to the PGA. Yeah, I go to PGA tour events, uh, twenty five to thirty of them a year. Mostly all the the better ones where your staff plan. We got a fairly elite staff right now that we look after, so I tend to go to most of the events they're playing in. So it tends to be a, a pretty good schedule and a pretty fun job. That's for sure. Well, certainly, especially when you think that TaylorMade you know, sponsor the likes of Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy and John Rahm and Dustin Johnson. Can, can You have an extraordinary stable of elite guys. Can you just give us a one-liner on what they're all like individually? Just run through them. Tell us, just give us a one-liner on what they're all like. Oh, that's a tough one there. <laughs> one-liner? I mean, these guys are... I mean, I don't know. Tiger Woods, the greatest golfer ever. <laughs> That or are you looking for it personally? Personally, what's he like? What are they yeah, all like I to work Tiger with? Tiger Woods, greatest golfer ever. I think uh, Rory McIlroy might have the best swing in the history of the game. I tell him, I think him and Sam Snead are my two favorite swings in golf. The balance, just the the effortless power. Dustin uh, Johnson, probably the most athletic player in golf. Um, John Rahm, just probably the best overall, you know, all around player in golf. He's probably one of the few players in golf that doesn't have a weakness. Everyone else you can point to a weakness, even, uh, yeah. Um, and then who else? We have Jason Day, you know, probably the best putter in golf for, you know, his career that he's, he's definitely been the number one putter on tour. So, yeah, of all our top players, and now you got young ones, Matt Wolf, he's kind of falling more along the Dustin lines of just being so physically gifted having to figure out how to play and then Carl Morikawa I mean I said it last year I, I he might have the best mind in golf last summer coming out of college he, you know it's hard to say you have a better mind than Tiger or this and that but he was definitely the most mature golfer I've ever seen at his age right he still is 
Okay. Well, well, that actually leads me on. That leads me on nicely, Keith, because I wanted to talk to you specifically about Ram, because last year we did a feature in Golf Monthly about John. Um, We interviewed him up at the Dunhill. We did some what's in the bag content with him. And one of the stories that came out was from um, somebody that you work with, Adrian, on the tour, who talked a little bit about how you guys came to know John and how you signed John. And it was an interesting story. And so I wanted to get it from your perspective because you were the one who was tracking the career of John Rahm. You were the one that was kind of figuring out whether he was a tailor-made player and if so, you know, what he could go on and achieve. So can you give us a bit about that um, that story about how you came to know John Rahm and how you came to sign him? Yeah, I mean, I think it, obviously everyone knew who John Rahm was, but that class had a few good players coming out. You had DeChambeau, you had Hostler, you had John. I can't remember who else. There's one other real top player. And, um, I knew John probably better than most because he played at Arizona State, which is where I played at. So uh, I played there with Phil back in the day and so I'm always close to that program and knew how good he was anyway so we were going through all this and you know we have a team that does this and we do analytics we have a lot of stuff that's going on and John's obviously up there but trying to figure out what to do and you know I just uh, got to know John a little bit and then kind of the the, the final deal was um, you know Phil's brother Tim Mickelson was the coach at ASU who I've known since he, he's probably eight years old I've known Phil since I'm 14, so I was talking to him, and I'm like, hey, can I come out and just see John, you know, so he allowed that, and I went out to Arizona, flew out in the morning, and it was just John and I at Greyhawk Golf Club, and we went through the bag, and we talked, and I watched him hit balls and kind of fit him in. He wanted to get a driver. It was towards the end of the year. It was actually May of his senior year. John had never played a tailor-made club at that point, so he'd been playing college golf for four years and never really played any tailor-mades. And I got him into a good driver, but just that day, just watching him go through his bag, watching him talk about golf, and then we went and played nine holes, and obviously he hit it really good, and then with nine holes, he was hitting you know, hitting the ball great, and we got around the greens, and he just kept wanting to show me all these shots around the greens, you know, uh-huh. kind of talking about Seve and this and that, and the fact that the guy was such a good ball striker. And then, you know, that, that part of it was amazing to me, but the fact that he was just so excited about the short game, I'm like, it, it was just kind of intrigued me a little bit. But, you know, kind of at the end of the story, I was driving back to the airport, and I got a call from a buddy of mine that works at Golf Channel. He's on on the air and he's always calling me asking me for little tidbits you know one of their top guys and I was laughing I'm like I, I think I just spent the day with the sixth best golfer in the world because I was kind of adding up the number of guys that you know this is 2016 I was kind of like okay Jordan Jason Day Rory Dustin I just started adding up guys that I would put ahead of John Rom at that time uh-huh. and I literally got about six names down I got to like the seventh name. I'm like, God, I think John might be better than him. So I told the <laughs> golf channel friend, I'm like, I think he's like, who is that? I can't tell you, but he's an amateur. And I go, I think he might be. I go, he's one of the 10 best players in the world right now for sure coming out of college. And, uh, you know, he just had something. And sure enough, his first event, he almost won. And, uh, yeah, he's uh, he's been easy to work with. He's turned into a great friend. It's, it's just been fun to watch his career go. And, uh yeah, it's been a great addition to our staff. 
Sure. How do you guys figure out what level a player can get to in the game? Because obviously you're doing that, aren't you? You're, you're, you're thinking in your own mind, this guy can reach this sort of level in golf. How, how do you figure that out? I mean, you can use some analytics, but it's more the people. I mean, we're pretty fortunate. You know, over in Europe, you have Mark Fizzleton, uh, you have Adrian, who you're talking about. But Mark was a great player himself, played all your comps that you guys play, and he might have been even on an English team or something. So he really sees the game well. So, I mean, it, it, it's, it's recruiting. You know, in the U.S., we have a, a guy named Ryan Ressa, who's our main guy. And Ryan was a college golf coach, good player himself. So as a college golf coach, all we're doing is looking at junior golfers, trying to see how good they can be. So we we have great people in those positions. I don't do a lot of that, you know. John Rahm is probably the only person I've ever recruited, to be quite honest. All these other guys do all these other ones, and I just kind of get updates from them and, and listen to them. But I just think we have great people that can see good talent. You don't hit a home run every time, but. Um, you know, I, I, if you know the game, I don't think it's hard to watch a guy play and watch him play against his, you know, peers, and you can see things that are a little different. You know, Dustin Johnson looked a little different. Yeah. To be that athletic, that strong, also shoot the scores, but to drive it like he was, I mean, it's just, it was just a little different. You're like, you know, what's your worst-case scenario with Dustin Johnson? I, I, you know, at the time, I go, even if he can't figure out how to wedge it or putt it, he's still going to be a top 30 player in the world just where he's driving the ball. So you just you take into account there, and sometimes there's factors you can't factor in in life, but um, you try and look at that too, you know. It's uh, no different than any other sport. When your football teams are looking at a player, they're looking at everything, and we do the same thing. So, Keith, uh, earlier you said that Rom has a, a, a complete game. He doesn't have any weaknesses. Does he have any strengths? Like they're, obviously they're all strengths, but is there anything that's better driver, than anything? I mean, in in this modern game, if you look, you know, if you're one of the top guys strokes game driving, which John is every year, and so is Rory, and so is Dustin. If they do that, it's just really it's much easier to be, you know, whatever a top ten super world class player if you're driving it where they're driving it. Yeah, you know, I've said. I, I think any of those guys, I, I think you could take anyone off the Cornbury Tour and let them play Dustin, John, or Rory's drives, and they would be probably make the Tour Championship. You just let them right, take wow. it from there. So the driver is a, a big part. The long game is a big part nowadays. So that's definitely John's strength. He hits driver more than anyone. He hits it. And, and the other thing John's got is he takes aggressive lines. So there's something about being, you know, John's not as long as Dustin or Rory, but he plays as close to the home as they do. Right. Most of the time. They, I, mean, I mean, Rory, they'll play a little ahead of him, but not much. But John takes the most aggressive lines, shortens the hole as much as he can, and hits driver as much as he can, and that's a huge advantage. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> It's hard to see how, I mean, you, but you've got to be very accurate. You can't just be taking aggressive lines and spraying it around. Yeah, and that's the advantage when you're a great driver. All those guys are really confident in driving. And that's why they're the best drivers in the world. Yeah, you have to be accurate because uh, if not, it's, uh, yeah, if you're, if you're taking aggressive lines and you're not in play, you, you know, that's, uh, 
you know, you lose shots really quickly. So, so let me ask you, Keith, then, wh- wh- how good do you need to be as, a, as an elite amateur to go on and reach the sort of level that we're talking about here, that very, very elite level at the top of the game? Just to give people some perspective on actually how good you need to be as an amateur. Yeah, I, I don't have an exact answer to that. I'm, I'm, you know, we, if we went through and looked back, I mean, I think there are some exceptions of not having to be, you know, the absolute best coming out. You know, the three guys last year, Hobble and Wolfmore Collar, they were they were the best. John Rom was the best. These are all number one amateurs in the world, pretty much, and they go on to success. But there are, you know, I can think recently, you know, Brooks Kepka. Uh-huh. You know, he. I don't know what his world amateur rank would have been, but, you know, he's obviously been the best player in the world the last four years or whatever. I mean, dominating everyone in majors, and he was not the best amateur coming out. So there are, you know, you don't have to be Xander Shockley. Yeah. There's, I'm not sure what his amateur rank was. You could look it up, but, you know, so there is. You don't have to be one of the two or three best amateurs in the world to have a great tour success. They're all there are other guys. It's just, uh, you know, it's, it's probably harder for us to pick them. Okay. You know, we got Xander, but he's a San Diego guy. I mean, I'm sure he's, he definitely surprised us on how good he was once he got out the tour. Once he finally got out there, we didn't, you know, we, we supported him. and He was a tailor-made guy, but I don't think anyone would have predicted he'd have won the tour championship his rookie year. Right. Uh, Tough prediction to make. Yeah, so. for sure, for sure. Um, so looking at those, again, Keith, looking at those top-level guys, the ones that you work with, who, who's the most open-minded when it comes to putting new equipment in the bag? Who's most open to kind of trying different shafts and heads and combinations out, would you say? I think they're all pretty good. Um, I think, I mean, Dustin's been very easy. Um, John's fairly easy. Rory's really easy. I'd say Dustin and Rory are the easiest. John next. Um, the, the younger guys are only one year into it, but they were both pretty good this year. They're, you know, it, it's, it's a tough thing because it's different when you're representing a golf company like TaylorMade or Callaway or Titleist or whatever. I mean, you come out with equipment every year and you end up getting really good drivers or good irons or good golf yeah. ball or something. And then we come out with new ones and you know, we need those guys to, to play them because that's how the kind of it works. You know, you pay them to play your stuff, you represent the brand, and they need to kind of play the new stuff. So it takes a little time, I think, when you're younger to get used to, like, man, I got a switch. I love my, you know, M5, but the sim needs to go in. And we don't want anyone to switch until it's better. We, you know, if you talk to any of our players, they're not going to switch unless it's better. So, we, we figure that since and sometimes it's quicker, sometimes it takes a little longer. Um, but I, and most of our guys are pretty good. You know, even Tiger's been good. He, you know, he, he didn't switch much at Nike, and he's been switching every year. Yeah, uh, notoriously, you know, it's, he's sort of he's he, not the easiest guy to fit in the world. He doesn't hit a lot of balls. He's on, you know, and he's very particular. He doesn't adjust to the club at all, which is amazing. And uh, yeah, but we've been able to figure it out, and he's always been able to find a better driver, which is great. What's been the the, the biggest um, success for you this season about getting 
uh, a particular club in a certain player's hand, do you think? What what club have you fitted this year that's made the biggest difference to a player, would you I say? I think the sim with Tiger has been the, the, the biggest success. You know, he was loving his M5. He drove it, you know, he drove it well last year. Uh, he won the Masters with it. He won Zozo. He looked amazing. And he was very confident in it. And, you know, to get him out of that driver was not an easy task. But the beauty was is he saw the speed. You know, I was he saw two to three miles an hour of head speed, which means whatever, then at least three miles an hour of ball speed. And I showed him six or seven more yards of carry. And when he saw that, he was very intrigued. So I, I don't, you know, it kind of, you know, he kind of looked and said, we need to get this right. You know, then from there, once, you know, once you sell him on, he doesn't want to give up distance. And once you sell him on that, then we just had to get the control there. And we uh, did a pretty good job. I mean, I thought he drove it really good in San Diego and uh, did pretty good with it in L.A. and got a better driver. So that was that was definitely probably our best success story uh, year to date. Um, and then, Keith, given that you're in a very senior position at one of the major brands and it's your job to get the best players in the world using your equipment, what advice would you offer the people listening to this who are thinking, you know, when lockdown's over, when I'm finally able to get on the golf course, I'm going to buy myself some new clubs as a treat. What advice would you give people for finding the right equipment for their game? Yeah, I definitely think you have to get fit, you know, in your driver. All the tour players have to get fit. I mean, a proper fit's worth yardage and accuracy being, you know, so I I definitely think you have to get fit. I try everything, you know, a lot of these tour players do try everything. Um, I think we have the best stuff and, you know, the the, the thing with like, I think one reason we have so many of the so-called non-contracted players is because, you know, all the guys they're trying to beat are playing tailor-made drivers. So, you know, you can kind of make it a game of uh, the arrow, you know, keep the arrows the same and, you know, it's the Indian behind it. So you're kind of have a level playing field if you're playing a tailor-made driver out there. And I think that's one reason a lot of guys go to it because when they end up in the leader group on Sunday next to John or Rory or Dustin, they, you know, they know they got the uh, same equipment, the same fitting, the same everything advantage that they have and uh, kind of makes it more, you know, the player instead of the club. So I think uh, that's definitely an advantage for us, but um yeah, you definitely want to get fit, and I think with the sim, you're going to see more speed. You know, the aerodynamics of the sim, we spent years working on that. Wind tunnels, I mean, we were so proud of this product this year. I mean, it's a shame we're not being able to play right now, and you see how it performs, and all the listeners aren't in the nets hitting it, but you will swing it faster. The same thing Tiger Woods saw, as apprehensive as he might have been, when he sees two to three miles an hour of head speed, it's really hard to not to not play that. And uh, I would be very surprised if when you went and tested drivers, if the tailor-made sim didn't swing the fastest, which, you know, you're going to want to get it right when you see that. So, Great. Well, thank you, Keith. Thanks for joining us. You've got everyone really excited about getting back out on the golf course. Let's hope it's not too long. Oh, can't wait. You know, it's got uh, a net net at the house like everyone else and the feels as good as it's felt in years i'm sure that won't be the same once i see the ball go <laughs> farther than six feet but uh, i'm at least encouraged so. <laughs> i like your style 
Thanks. Thank you, Keith. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Bye-bye. So, great interview there. Uh, really insightful. Anything that really stood out for you there, Elliot? Yeah, I've, uh, I listened to this a couple of weeks ago, and the thing that still is floating around in my head is when he said that he thought John Rahm was the sixth best player in the world before he was even a professional. And that just goes to show you what an amazing amateur golfer he was. I think uh, he was world number one for over 60 weeks, which is the longest in history still. And obviously, as soon as he turned pro, he looked like he was going to win every week. And yeah, he's world number two now. He's been world number number two before. Just a, a generational talent, you've got to say. I think he's going to go and win majors, be world number one. And uh, it's fascinating to see that Sparborough could see that as soon as uh, he laid eyes on Ram. Yeah, some of these guys, they just know amazing talent when they see it. They obviously see, must see great players all the time, but the ones which actually really, really stand out from that group must be quite apparent, mustn't it? And um, they they know who, who's got that extra level in them. Uh, and John Rahm's obviously one of those players. And it's nice to talk about pro golf. And we have got maybe some pro golf coming up. So um, Rory and DJ are going to be taking on Fowler and Wolf in a charity skins game. Uh, on the 17th of May. So this should be good fun, shouldn't it? Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. I've never seen Seminole. It's meant to be quite a stunning golf course. So, yeah, it should be good. Lots of money being raised for charity and, you know, COVID-19 relief there as well. Um, So, yeah, I can't can't wait for that. Also, it's the night before my birthday as well. So I might get a few few beers in, celebrate, watch that, and then maybe pop out for 18 holes the next day. You never know. Well, that would be nice if you could play golf again on your birthday. Um, yeah, it should be good fun. Obviously, it's not going to be too serious, but it'd be just great to see. I mean, quite looking forward to seeing Rory and DJ paired up. They're going to be trying to outdrive each other, aren't they? So that should be uh, good fun and, and interesting to to see. There's also hopes that Woods and Mickelson are going to have this match too. Uh at some point, it was originally thought it'd be May, but it looks like it'd probably be June now. They're teaming up with a couple of NFL legends in the shape of Peyton Manning and Tom Brady, who I'm sure you know all about, Elliot, don't you? Uh, I know that they're they're quite good in their chosen field, but <laughs> no, that, that's all I know. <laughs> no, two two legendary quarterbacks, so um, yeah, very big names in the states. But I mean, if we if we yeah, we're desperate for any golf Woods versus Mickelson, we'll take that very nicely as well. So. Whether that'll happen as well, um, but then above all this charity stuff, which is, is great, and it'd be great to see. When are we going to see the PJ Tour return? To, well, at the moment, the PJ Tour is set to turn on the 11th of June for the Charles Schwab Challenge, um, where there'll be no fans um, actually on the course watching, but they're hoping that they're going to have the pro event there. Now, we think that this may still be slightly tricky to. To, to organise, and we're not sure whether this is going to happen, but uh, America at the moment seems to be more um, more in favour of trying to open things up and get sport back and running than I think some other countries. So it could well happen. Uh, I think of the logistics, it's going to be very tricky. You think if the 150 players plus 150 caddies plus the referees plus the, the green keepers plus the hospitality suddenly that's an awful lot of people with or without spectators. So, um, yeah, I, I wonder whether that will happen, but fingers crossed it will. And then 
We've got a few PGA Tour events floating around in June and start of July before suddenly we have this huge explosion of uh, big events lined up. US PGA Championship, 6th to the 9th of August. Then after that, we have the FedEx Cup playoffs, which will be all wrapped up by the 7th of September. Then the US Open, the 17th to the 20th of September, just one week before the Ryder Cup, which is the 25th to the 27th of September. And then the Masters in mid-November, the 12th to the 15th of November. So if they get all this played, we're going to go from famine to feast, as it were, because there's going to be incredible amounts of golf to uh, digest and some really high-quality golf as well. Um, I mean, I'm looking forward to it. What, what are your thoughts about the new look schedule at the moment? Yeah, I, initially, like you, I was a bit sceptical, but having read a bit more, seeing that uh, Jay Monaghan was on Trump's advisory council, hearing that they, they're going to get all these million tests or whatever it is, uh, I think it's quite realistic. Obviously, the PGA Tour has a lot of money, and and I think, yeah, it has the power to restart again next month. Like you said, there's a lot of people. I think it's something like 700 people on site. So, yeah, that's going to be a, a lot of people there in Texas. But, uh, yeah, that they've got Trump's, um, Trump's back in, so I think, yeah. think it will happen. Obviously, there's a lot of international players and there are travel restrictions, but I think they could even like charter flights in for them. And um, with all the testing that they're going to have, yeah, I think it could go ahead, definitely. On the other hand, though, uh, it really doesn't look good for the European Tour. Whilst all this action is going on, I think it's going to be a bit of a struggle over here. Yeah, I think the European Tour are maybe taking a more pragmatic view on things at the moment. Obviously, the Open is gone the starters, which I know the European Tour don't run, but um, the Open has been cancelled because not because it just gets played on that one week in July. The Open is a huge amount of regional qualifying events and there's no, there was no way that they were going to get all of that in and get it in and played whilst the weather's still nice, basically. Um, so I think moving that to next year is a, you know, a very good idea and actually it has freed up a bit of room uh the first european tour event is supposed to be the british masters in the end of august which again would be great if that happens uh, i think they'll have huge crowd there if they're allowed to have a crowd in there um if not the crowd they have huge tv numbers because people will want to see some golf being played by the pros in england but whether well, the European Tour just aren't also dealing with one country. They're dealing with huge amounts of different countries who are all in different stages uh, of the pandemic and and in different cases of different lockdown. If we're in Sweden, there's no doesn't seem to be any lockdown at all if they were just playing in Sweden. But um, in other countries, obviously, they're having harder times. So I think it's still too early to say exactly what the European Tour season will look like. But if they get going from late August then it still gives them a good couple of months to get a good few events in and uh, hopefully have a good end to the season at least. Yeah, all of this will be happening, though, whilst the PGA Tour is back up and running. Mm-hmm. Um, like you think of Wentworth in September, how's that going to fit in when the FedEx Cup playoffs are at the start of September and then they've got the US Open mid-September? And then I think of like the DP World Tour Championship and the race to Dubai finals. 
they're normally November, but the Masters is now in November. Yeah. So at, at, at are the they going to push the, that back a month? God knows yeah. what it's going to look like. Well, at the moment, the Ned Bank Golf Challenge, which is, which I think has one of the biggest prize pools ever on the European Tour. When was that last? Was that last year when they had the biggest prize pool ever there? Uh, it was for a week, and then the the next week's event overtook. It. But yeah, I think it yeah. was two so and a half million dollars. Yeah, for the winner, massive, massive event. Yeah, huge load of money. I know they didn't have a, a great field last year, but uh, yeah, loads of money. At the moment, that is is a, the same week as the Masters. So something's surely going to have to give there. Um, what I don't know. Uh, I mean, obviously the, the Masters doesn't actually have the biggest field, um, so it'd be interesting to see if they do swap it. No, and Keith Pelley's already said that the tour will look radically different when it comes back. Hinted at things like smaller prize funds and, you know, menial things like courtesy cars and top class lounges disappearing. It's going to be very interesting to see what their sponsorship's like. And obviously with the Ryder Cup as well, potentially being postponed, it looks like the tour's going to be in financial difficulty. And well, let, well, let's, it's, let's, it's quite let's, worrying. Let's, Let's talk about the Ryder Cup because you say they're always potentially being postponed, but also you kind of already touched on the fact that um, golf in America is, is one of those sports which is actually being pushed from the very highest levels of government. Um, and I do wonder whether the Ryder Cup is going to be postponed at the moment. Um, the big question is, if would you watch the Ryder Cup or would the Ryder Cup be the same if there was no fans watching on the course? Now, of course, it wouldn't be the same, but would it be still be a, a spectacle worth viewing? Um, and it's it's there's there's a lot of lot of comments and a lot of views on this polarized views as well. Um, what well, I know, Rory McIlroy said, "Oh, you know, with a, a Ryder Cup without the fans wouldn't be the Ryder Cup." Um, but in these times where we're all desperate for any kind of entertainment um, especially ones that we love and a sport that we love actually a Ryder Cup this year more than ever could actually be the relief that a lot of people um, really want yeah I I think it would be good Ram has also said that it shouldn't be played without fans so that's the top two players in the world saying that it shouldn't but yeah I think it would still be tense it would obviously have the biggest TV audience it's ever had and you know if I go play in a club match with nobody watching. It's still going to be quite tense near the end. And, you know, if Rory and DJ are all square with a hole to go to decide the Ryder Cup, it's still going to be tense. It's still going to be great competition. And with it going ahead, it might help the tour survive. It might keep the broadcasters happy, which could lead to a positive future for the sport. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think the Ryder Cup is, is just one of those iconic events in sport, not just in golf. And um, we just want it played, don't we? We want all, all of this golf to be played as much as possible because that's going to be the best the best remedy, I think, for for everybody is to be able to get as much sport played as possible. We'd love to have fans there, but I think as long as people's security and health is being put first uh, above entertainment, uh, I think that's all we can ask for at this, at this moment, isn't it? So... Um, well, we will wait and see, won't we? I'm sure things will start coming out of the uh, woodwork, and I think that I think it's all very dependent on how these first few events, scheduled events, uh, on the PJ Tour, whether they happen or not, and the problems or lack of problems they have. So we'll wait and see on that. I think. Yeah, I feel quite positive though. Um, 
I'm excited to see what happens. So obviously, I mean, after the Ryder Cup, if or if it doesn't happen at the end of September, the big event, which we're all going to be really, really looking forward to, which is actually the week before my birthday, Elliot, is the, is the Masters, which is due to be now take place in mid-November. Uh, now, obviously, mid-November is seven months after it's usually played. So um, we've had a good question here from Joseph Ruddock on Facebook. Um, how, if at all, are the US majors going to be affected by being played in autumn slash winter? And will this benefit any particular players? Now, this is a really good question, I think. Um, and we've done a bit of digging. We've done a post, haven't we, online about what we think the mass, uh, what Augusta is going to play like in November. And what is clear is that I think a lot of people think it's going to play a lot longer. It's going to be probably be a bit softer. Um, and it might really help if you hit the ball a lot a lot further. So the first person that always gets talked about that is Rory McIlroy. So do you think that having the Masters in November is going to help Rory get the green jacket? Yeah, definitely. If you read the post, uh, what will a November Masters look like? If you just Google that, uh, I'd recommend having a read of that. But um, most of the wet weather comes late summer at Augusta, which means the course will be playing softer. It's also going to be five to 10 degrees cooler every day which obviously means the ball is going to be traveling significantly shorter McElroy has said as well that this could help him not having that eight month build up like we normally would have in April so that would help him as well and another thing that helps him is he seems to play quite well in November I think he's won about five times in that month he's never won a tournament in April so you know is that an omen that, Who knows? that is a stat I've never heard before Elliot. I've oh, missed- I did it I think did it myself, I think. That is, um, that is a cracking stat. That is brilliant. So Rory's never won in April, but he's won loads of times in November. Well, that, I'm sold. I'll put my I'm house not, on. I'm not sure if he's won five times, actually. I'll check that. But he's definitely won uh, early December, oh. late late October. <laughs> multiple, multiple. Yeah, so it, it could that could have a massive effect. And it's going to be... We love Augusta and that spring-like colours with the flowers in bloom and the greens and stuff like that. Augusta is going to be in autumn. It's going to be oranges and browns and leaves on the ground. It's going to look very different. We've found a few pictures on online uh, of what it looks like around that time of year, so do check them out. But I'm really, inter- I'm really interested to see uh, what Augusta is going to look like. We always, It's kind of one of these hidden secret places which you only get certain glimpses of. So uh, I think it'd be nice to see it in a in a different light. Um, and of course, the other thing is that it will only be five months before the next Masters. And that will be again in the spring. So um, I'm, I'm just really looking forward to it. So I'm, I love the Masters. I love Augusta. And um, I just can't wait to see it in November. Yeah, it's going to be very weird, isn't it? Being dark and cold outside and not being the start of our golfing season. It, you know, the Masters is the Masters at the end of the day. So it would be the best, one of the best tournaments of the year. And and I think- back, so back to the stat, Rory's won three times in November, once in early December, once in late October. Yeah. So, so yeah, like he should be in good form by then. Yeah, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed on that. So thanks for listening today, guys. Um, we're all just struggling along at the moment. 
We're all doing pretty well. Hope that you guys are doing well. There's a couple of things I wanted to point out to you on the Golf Monthly website at the moment. We've just hit 100,000 Instagram followers. So, and we have um, to celebrate that. We have an amazing titleist competition. So, if you check out the website, you can um, enter on there for some great titleist gear. Uh, we've got a great subscription deal at the moment. You can get three issues of the magazine for just five pounds. So, check that out as well. Um, and of course, the current issue on sale features Henrik Stenson and also our Editor's Choice Awards, where we look at the 100 best products of 2020. So make sure to check them all out. And of course, follow us on social media. Uh, Elliot, it's been good chatting. Yeah, very good to hear your voice again, Tom. I'm sure the listeners will be thinking the same. Yeah, uh, well, something like that. Um, stay safe, Elliot. Don't, um, yeah. don't play too much uh, computer games or whatever keep practicing the golf swing in the mirror whatever you're doing and uh, we'll get there soon I'm sure yeah thanks Tom I appreciate that okay so until next week we'll see you then 